Welcome back to Decarb Connects podcast. And this week, I'm really pleased to welcome Jeff Mackey from BASF, who is their Group Corporate Affairs and Sustainability Director, and also something of a friend to Decarb Connect because he's a founding council member of our DLN network and always a great supporter. So great to see you here, Jeff. Thank you so much. Thanks very much. Good morning, Alex. So this um, episode is sort of a bit of a step out of the norm in that this is a sort of combination of looking at what you're focused on, looking at your work with BSF, but but also getting a bit of an inside scoop on what COP26 has been like from someone who's been on site, has had their own set of activities and having some really interesting meetings, I'm sure. First of all, I've given the title that you have at BSF, but tell us a bit more, give us a bit of a flavour for your work there and how have you found yourself doing this work in this space of sustainability? So the easy questions first, as Spike Milligan used to say, <laughs> um, the reality of the conversation is that sustainability is at the heart of what BSF does. And from my side of things, I've been through a whole series of iterations within BSF. And I've finished up in a role that allows me to affect both the actions and thinking of the organization in positive ways. So it's all good from my perspective. Very, very positive about it. Um, certainly, I didn't plan to be here when I started out. I think many of us can say that as regards our paths in life. Um, I certainly didn't start out in the chemical industry. A long time ago, my first degree was in ecology, and um, I had very much a different plan for life. And about 20 years ago, uh, BSF phoned me up and offered me an opportunity, which was too good to turn down. So 20 years later, here I am. I lead on Sustainability UK and Ireland, but I also coordinate the Sustainability Champions Group across Europe. And that's fantastic because actually BSF is focused on all sorts of sustainability outcomes and we're moving in the right direction. Let's have a look at COP then. So um, for those of us, including me, who weren't in, weren't up there in Glasgow, haven't been up there in Glasgow, tell us, just give us a kind of the, the Jeff Mackey description of what has it been like. So we're, we're recording this um, the Monday of the second week of COP. So what, what was week one like for you? You know, what, what did it look and feel like to be there? Well, I, I have to be totally honest. And um, week one for me was all about the engagement, the pre-planned engagement for us. Um, I had pointedly shied away from the blue zone in the early part of the week on the grounds that it was full of important people. Um, you can take your view whether or not important people make a difference or not. They obviously do, but there's no point in thinking that anything useful is going to get done at a working level from my perspective. Therefore, I had a whole series of engagements planned in schools outside um, or in and around Glasgow. We had a number of events planned. I've also been talking with customers, with stakeholders. Um, the green zone was very well attended. The blue zone was really quite interesting simply to get in there. Um, but I'm, not, I'm aware that everybody gets a different feel for COP itself. Um, I also went out... Um, for a, a gentle walk around with the protesters, because I think that's another voice in it. So for you, a bit of a bit of a combination of some semi-formal meetings, some formal meetings, and then the schools outreach, which is I think was a really interesting part of what you were doing. So 
yeah, just describe that a little. Um, what, what was the kind of goal of the interactions with schools and what were you doing last week on, on that kind of level? Um, from my side of things, part of the sustainability interaction is not high level. Part of sustainability interaction with my colleagues, my stakeholders and the schools is to turn around and go, what can we do now? What can we do different? So, for example, we turned up at one school and the school had done a whole series of projects. And one of them was all about no wrap Friday. You know, the snacks that you bring to school shouldn't have any wrapping on them on a Friday. And they presented that to me and I shared with them some of the, my thoughts. And we then discussed why we can't do that all the time or why we can't do that three days a week instead of just one day a week. And we talked about things, things that the, the kids will interact with, because part of the challenge for us is carbon literacy, but it's also science literacy, because one of the challenges we have in our world today and with all deference, if I honestly believe you and I are UK based, if you talk to the average person in the street and talk about the difference between 1.5, 1.7 and 2.9, they would have very little grasp of what the practicalities of that actually are. And I think we need to make this real. I think corporates like us can make a huge difference We've got some massive, massive projects linked to managing our carbon and our processes, our innovations, our sense of direction for us as a seriously impactful business. But then there's the question of what we can do now. And that's for every single one of us. And I still think there's an awful lot of people out there who haven't sat down and thought about what they can do right now. So when you're talking carbon literacy then with school children, what sort of conversations were coming up? Give, give us a little bit more of a flavour of how those carbon literacy discussions went. I think the one thing I've learned in my interaction with education is, number one, my respect for the teaching profession has leapt over the last decade because the idea of standing in front of 30 young minds and trying to funnel them or focus them on one level is absolutely just the challenge of life. The reality of the conversation for me is when I'm standing there, the kids talking about what we can do and why we can do it. But sometimes they don't always think, you know, for, for example, how many coats do we have? How many coats do we need? What do you do with a coat when you've finished with it? You know, there's nothing wrong with pre-love. You know, if we're going to use a, a, a bag of some sort, let's make sure we use it again and again and again and again. I think one of the great challenges in our society comes down to things like trends and fashion, because that creates unsustainable directions of travel. And that's something we all need to think about our own buying decisions. And that's part of what carbon literacy is all about. I joined you for a sustainability day. You mentioned there that you'd also been doing carbon literacy programmes within BASF. How do those conversations differ when it's in-house training or an in-house conversation versus what you were talking about in the schools this week? Um, I, I, would, I would argue that the differences should only be based on the people who are there. I mean, you, you joined us on one of our sustainability days. Those days are run for 
as many people and as often as required. Because for me, these should not be competitive conversations. These should all be about, we live in a world, we can see the sense of direction, it's not good enough, we can all do better. And therefore, when we're having carbon literacy conversations, yes, of course, for the internal training, we're actually sharing with people openly what we're going to do as a business to manage our carbon, you know, electrifying our crackers, looking at how we actually use pyrolysis, looking at the different conversations regarding uh, biomaterials. These are very, very openly stated senses of direction. It's not going to happen tomorrow, but it's very much a sense of where we're going as a business. And if we can start removing carbon right up at the top end of the value chain, then that means down at the bottom end of the value chain, our customers and eventually their consumers are going to find it an awful lot easier to start dealing with these issues. But it also means people have to know how to make a better buying decision. Yeah, I think that that was one of my takeaways, actually, from that day that I spent with you and your team was it was kind of an interesting agenda. We were there mostly to talk, I suppose, about um, decarbonisation through agricultural routes, but also of agriculture and in different ways. But it was the discussions around reforestation and how often that's talked about as a very simple kind of, oh, this is a simple whim. We'll go plant some trees. But the conversation that you and your team kind of guided us through was, I guess, adding a lot more layers to it and helping kind of flesh out the fact that decisions around that have to be more uh, sensible and more thoughtful than just, okay, I'm going to pay this person to plant some trees. Me, that was that was just one part of the conversation. But I thought it was interesting to take some of these, you know, standard responses to climate challenges and just unpick them a bit. That that was the value for me personally. And, and I would certainly argue that one of the rules for those of us who are allegedly informed is to hang ourselves out there and go, right, who wants to talk? Because I want to learn. I'm going right back to your question about what did I learn from the schools? The answer is be very, very careful when you stand in front of a bunch of 30, 60, 80, 11-year-olds. There was a whole conversation around things like football boots because actually a lot of football is played. They think about football. That's all well and good. And there's a conversation about how those boots are made and the technology. But then I moved on into things like, do they think about how the pitch is manicured, how things are kept, even as regards the paint used to mark out the pitch? All these were part of the conversations. What other kind of conversations were you having on site? Can you kind of, again, paint a bit of a picture for that more corporate to corporate side of the activity? Yeah, I I don't know of any corporate currently that is not very actively engaged in the world of sustainability in various forms, whatever their frame is. Now, the frame of the UN SDGs is one. There are different frames and ways of looking at sustainability. Um, I'm ever the pragmatic optimist, and therefore my starting point says, if you write sustainability at the top of your agenda, then there's going to be a change. And if you keep on writing sustainability at the top of the agenda, 
people will keep talking about it. They will keep creating a positive spiral and we will do better. Now, I'm going to plagiarize Greta's words about blah, blah. Will we do better quick enough? Now, that's a different conversation. And I don't think I'm informed enough to speak to that. But I do think that the negotiations that gone on last week in the Blue Zone and are continuing this week in the Blue Zone, we have seen lots and lots of changes. We have seen lots of countries commit. The comment I would make as a corporate organization is we simply need to understand and the policymakers need to understand they have to create an environment for us to work. But we can certainly support the journey forward. And it is not a simple picture, but I am ever the optimist that this will be a good cop. What came out of either direct conversations you had or the kind of news you were hearing that you thought were signs of life, you know, signs of good, productive routes forward. What, what jumped out at you from, from that investor slash industrial slash corporate uh, news journey last week? The financial conversation, the, the way it's been organised, and many of us have got a selection of conversations we like to have with the UK government on a selection of uh, opportunities. Um, having theme days have given it focus. The financial day um, created a lot of movement regarding ESG. That was really, really interesting. Um, certainly, I think the investors are looking long and hard at their metrics. And I, I'm old enough and ugly enough to go back 30, 40 years and talk about the world of health and safety, where people got killed at work. Uh, to be very frank about it, Alex, anybody today who tries to run a business without writing zero deaths and reduced impacts at the top of their normal operating procedures uh, are out of step with thinking. And I think we're moving very, very rapidly to the same situation with sustainability. Lots and lots of what we're talking about, you know, carbon disclosure, open reporting, um, big picture metrics that people can see and are openly published. I think that's coming very, very rapidly, and that can only be a good thing, because I'm sorry, I still believe that if I can't measure it, I can't manage it. You talked a little about what you have done in this last week and the sort of things that you've heard and seen. What, what do you imagine, or what do you believe is, is going to find a way into uh, BSF's own strategy from this period of time? I mean, I, I would never speak on behalf of my headquarters colleagues to that level. I, I mean, our sustainability journey is published, it's stated, it's clear. Um, I have little doubt that it'll not be without bumps in the road, but we're going to make a real difference to our carbon management as we move forward. I think the reality of COP is that people will start to understand what some of us have been saying for a lot of years. Um, though I was talking to a number of people, as you can imagine, last week, and there was one or two grey heads, you know, like me, we've been around a bit. And some of us are feeling that we're almost trendy. You know, we've almost come to our time. Almost, Jeff, only almost. 
almost I'm not daft. Um, and the conversation on that one, Alex, is that, you know, we do need to listen to the next generation's voices, but they also have to understand that what they want to create has to be sat down, planned, processed and created. It's very easy to stand on the outside of the greenhouse throwing stones. You've got to be able to stand on the inside of the greenhouse and keep building in a way that everyone understands as a positive future for all. What, what's interesting to me is I do think that this combination of conference of parties, the demonstrators and activists, the kind of much more obvious kind of stepping up of corporates and investors, it's it's created conversations and a real sense of awareness in, in family and friends as well as business contexts. I, I think... I, I wouldn't have expected. And a positive sense of direction. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think the one thing that many of us worried about was that this was going to be some sort of political damp squib. And the answer is, and I have to say, I, I wasn't sure either that having, you know, the global leaders there for the first couple of days was the right answer. But actually, they've come, they've waved their flags, they've made their statements, it's all good. Right, Len, sleeves up, let's back to work. Um, you know, and I think that's really, really interesting because do I think there's going to be one great golden citadel created at the end of COP26? No, I don't, because you can't. It's far too complicated for that. Do I think there's going to be lots and lots of changes, people gone away thinking about things? Yes, I do. And part of the conversation has to be the legacy. For every single one of us touched by COP, we have to think about our actions personally and professionally. That will make a change, however large, however small, because I'm really sorry to sound cliched, we are all in this together. You mentioned a couple of the pillars of your sustainability strategy, so increasing uh, electrification of different operations was one example what when you when you kind of look at the next five to eight years say which is I guess what every has been more discussion about what happens pre-2030 than perhaps in previous meetings right rather than just long-term goals there has been more conversation about the next eight or so years what, what's your sense of your the sustainability strategy that you're involved with what 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 do you see changing in the next eight to ten years so it's a short horizon for an industrial but what what sorts of things would you expect to see for, for, again for your for your team for your strategy you also mentioned about some of the conversations at cop 26 um part of the conversation comes back to what is normal there are still stakeholders and customers that i come across who haven't wanted to talk about carbon management. There are still people out there who are still talking about stuff they talked about 20 years ago. The world has moved on. And therefore, what do I think is going to happen in the very short term? I think the opportunity for education, for dialogue, for open discussion about all the topics around what is sustainability and what it means is all about part of this conversation. And whether you start from a principle of, you know, reuse, recycle, upcycle, or whether you start from a principle of don't use it at all, all those positions are valid. 
what's important is you know where you're at right now and you move to somewhere different on a positive level. And we all move as often as we can and as hard as we can. And that will make a difference. Are you able to share what you expect to see your company pushing forward in in the next eight years? For example, are there elements of electrification? We're like, yes, this number of plants or this percentage of operations. Is it easy to articulate in that way? I think the the electrification of our crackers is a a technological step. And the question of biomaterials uh, is another one. One of the big steps is renewable energy. Because I think if you look at any of the public avail- publicly available figures, availability of renewable energy is going to be a real challenge. And there are different parts of the world and different parts of Europe where that will be a bigger challenge. Um, I had a number of conversations with people in and around the Scottish policy establishment last week. And the reality is the UK has got wind onshore and offshore. You know, the UK has got wave however much we laugh about it, we have got solar. And we really have to think about our energy mix and how to use that. Because as we start to electrify our transport and frankly, electrify our lives, not using fossil fuel as the starting point is a huge step in that. But then you immediately run into all sorts of conversations around the choices we also make. You know, we know we can make two bottles of shampoo, one out of trees and one out of fossil fuel. They are molecularly identical. The challenge is to make those value chains work and make the consumer understand the difference. Okay. Well, good. Lovely to talk to you as ever, Jeff. And I mean, I wish I could have been a fly on the wall for some of those school sessions. Scary, scary place to be. It really is. You don't get more open than standing in front of 11 year olds because the answer is they just have questions (laughs) well i'm sure you handled them well and um, i'm glad you got so much out of it it really sounds like you've kind of balanced your time there so well between the kind of formal discussions but also this this outreach to schools good to talk to you today jeff thanks so much for joining us alex thank you very much always a pleasure many thanks for listening to the decarb connect podcast We work with clients across the industrial sectors, specifically those who are tasked with decarbonizing the most energy intensive products and materials that we use every day. If you have an interest in uh, learning more about either our members network, our reports or our event series, do get in touch with us at decarbconnect.com. Or if you'd like to take part in the podcast, email me, alex at ac at decarbconnect.com. Thanks for listening.